All right, we're talking about going up and over, as we've been mentioning here, living the overcoming life. This is a great uh, series for us because of where we're at right now, what we're all experiencing together. I, I have no doubt in my mind that many of us are experiencing a tremendous amount of, of pressure and it's a challenge for some of us to trust God. And you know, we're all making this journey together. And the way that I want to go at it today is to pick back up with, uh, you know, we've been mentioning this, but we want to pick back up with the, the study in the life of Joseph. Joseph, this uh, extraordinary man, a figure of the Older Testament, whose story takes up a significant chunk of the book of Genesis. Though written thousands of years ago, it is astonishingly relevant and it has so much, so much to give us in terms of strength and resource and just application for the things that many of us are walking through right now. So I just want to jump right in. Let's just jump in together. And even now, Lord, we ask that you would bless this word, send it out and um, speak to us through it, right? Speak to us through this word. Remind us again of what it looks like to trust you and how faithful you are, even though we are ordinary and broken people, you show up for us and, and how thankful we are for that. Genesis 37, verse number one, Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Joseph brought a bad report to them of them to their father. So the picture we have here is of Joseph um, at the age of 17, already in a favored position above his brothers who are all older than him, except for one, his younger brother, Benjamin. But the brothers who are out in the field, they are, um, they are not necessarily doing great work. And for whatever the reason, Joseph brought this report back to his father and did, we talked about this last week. Um, Joseph was the apple of his father's eye, Rachel's son, honest, perhaps to a fault. And, um, he had already, like I said, been elevated above his brothers. So his father, you know, and, and his father knew though, that Joseph would give him an honest report. And he did, I mean, he did. And his brothers, we are told had been less than stellar. At least that's how Joseph saw it. And he wanted his father to know, I mean, that was his assignment, but that faithfulness to that assignment speaking really what would have been true words, but it, it just, it just didn't help the situation at all. And I'm not saying that Joseph shouldn't have shared those words. It's just that when he did, it made his brothers even more, uh, upset with him, uh, more envious of him. They just saw him as a snitch and uh, a tattletale and, and, uh, just, they just, well, look what it says in verse three. It says, now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, a bit of a miracle son to his deeply and most loved wife, Rachel. And we're also given another detail here that Jacob had made him or Israel had made him a, a robe of many colors. And we talked about that robe last week, how beautiful it must have been, the colors, the intricate details that were a, a customary for the design of just exquisite garments of the ancient East. 
And he must have, when Joseph wore that, he must have been quite a sight glistening with its colors and the fineness of the garment glistening in the sun. You almost can see the picture, young man of 17, looking so good, so sharp, um, beautifully adorned like an Arabian prince. And when his brothers who, they never got a robe, when they saw him, uh, it says that uh, they just, they just, you know, it says here that when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they, look at this, it says they hated him. They, 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 they couldn't even speak peaceably to him. I mean, we're told that if it wasn't enough uh, to be favored, Joseph, and be, to be put into a place of kind of supervision, I mean, it's, he, he was at least being sent to hold them accountable. <laughs> so to be put in that place and then on top of it to be given such an extravagant gift, that robe of so many colors. I mean, when they saw him, when they saw him coming, when they saw him wearing it, they just, they hated him. They hated him. Uh -huh. They despised him. They seethed with anger and envy. And it's the kind of anger that flows from a bitter heart, a bitter heart that is connected to being loved less. Yeah. And if that wasn't enough, we're given another bit of information about an incident that caught not just the brothers, but even Jacob by surprise. And so we'll just pick back up with the narrative. Look at verse five. It says one night. So on top of everything else, one night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever were told. Here was his dream. He says, listen to this dream, he said. Now, Joseph, he's, I don't know if he's quite, quite mature enough to know how he's coming across. Listen to this dream I had. You know, we were, we, well, well, tell us your dream. Well, we were all out, and, I, and, he, and he evidently, well, you'll see it. We were all out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. And then suddenly, and imagine a, a stalks of grain tied at the middle, the bottom larger than the top. So you got these grains, this grain being tied together. And it says that suddenly my bundle I, in this dream I had stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down before mine. <laughs> and I mean, I don't know if... Even if you have a dream, I'm not sure it's wise to share a dream when it's like that. His brothers responded, so, and they, they kind of, they kind of put some things together and they said, so you think you will be our King? Do you, this verse eight, do you actually think that you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. And soon Ju Joseph, <laughs> he had another dream. And again, he told his brothers about it. You guys aren't going to believe it. I had, I had another dream. Listen, listen to me. I had another dream. The sun, the moon, and the 11 stars. I, I, I don't know what to make of it. Maybe you guys do. But they all bowed low before me. And it says this time, and I love the way the Bible is just, just lays things out there. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers. Right, the first one, he didn't really share it with his dad, but the second one he did because, well, but his father, who kind of was also 
reading through some of the meaning of what was being implied, it says his father scolded him. What kind of a dream is that? He says, will your mother, you know, the sun and the moon, will your mother and I and your brothers, the 11 stars, actually come and bow down to the ground before you? Bow down to the ground before you? Come on. It says, uh, it, was, it, it bothered, it bothered Jacob to hear it. It sounded proud. It sounded arrogant. It sounded presumptuous. And yet it says that while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, it says that Jacob, his father wondered that the dreams, what they meant, which shows a kind of wisdom that came along with Jacob's age and also his past experiences with, with God. For the brothers, it was just one more in a long line of, of proud and self-centered uh, oversteps, right? That, that by, by the, you know, by the boy prince who with his prize robe that glittered in the sun, uh, you know, it just, it just was par for the course, right? Did his insolence know no bounds to exalt himself in his silly dream above them was less than surprising, but then to suggest that even the patriarch of the clan and his mother would bow was, well, how can you put it? It, it, it was just, uh, it was the height of audacity. Yes, it was. And I mean, they were just, you know, stunned. I imagine them talking amongst themselves. He, he has no shame. He has no shame. Others would say, I imagine one of the other brothers saying, he's just a spoiled brat. He makes me sick. The way he prances around with that robe. I hate him. Right? Did you hear what he said about father? Did you hear what he said about father? And you saw it. Even father was taken aback by it. You know it's true. He was. You saw it. I, I, I wish he was dead. That's, I tell you that right now. And so the seeds were planted and the water boils. And even Jacob was, like I said, initially, to, even though Jacob was initially taken back, one of the things that's fascinating to see here is that once Jacob calmed down from his initial reaction to what Joseph was saying and implied in those dreams of his, it seems that J Jacob actually, once he calmed down, had time to and had time to reflect and wonder a bit and, and think and reflect uh, that it it did. It did strike him. It, it, it says that J Jacob actually considered what had happened in a different way than the brothers did and his, son, uh, his sons did. Why? I think at least in part because Jacob was also a man of dreams, wasn't he? I mean, if you think about it in, in the Older Testament, that is how God had spoken to him. In many of the most profound moments of Jacob's life, if you go back in the Genesis account, God spoke to Jacob through dreams. Uh, on more than one occasion, it had actually marked a turning point in his life when God gave him a dream. And that was also true for Jacob's grandfather, Abraham. Abraham had been, was a man of dreams. 
And so there was actually a pattern that Jacob realized was not necessarily uncharacteristic of how God spoke. It had been something that had happened with Abraham and with himself. And so once he got past kind of the, the shock of, of the, you know, the, the, the audacity of the sound of it, uh, he actually did ponder it in a different way. And that's what we're told, but let's go back to, uh, you know, in other words, he, he who had learned that dreams meant things did not easily dismiss this one. And that's something to note. But in verse 12, it says, now his brothers went to the pasture, went to pasture their father's flock in the land of Shechem or near Shechem. And Israel, again, Jacob said to his, his said to Joseph, um, are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I, I want to send you to them. And he said, absolutely, I'll go for you. Here I am. Here I am, Father. I'll, I'll go. Yeah, absolutely. I'll go find them. See what they're doing. See how things are going. You know, the 10 brothers had taken the flocks up to Shechem. And, and perhaps maybe we have a little, a little map here that can show you the line of Joseph's journey from Hebron to Shechem. And then ultimately to Dothan and to Egypt. But it's just good to have a kind of geographical sense that these things took place in these real places, right? Uh, but uh, without going into detail, Shechem was an area, a region that the brothers actually had gotten themselves into trouble before. And uh, that, that was part of the reason, I think, for Jacob's concern. If you go back a little bit earlier in the book of Genesis, you, you realize that there were some incidents that had created tension with the people of Shechem and um, the, the sons of Jacob, the, the sons of Israel. And so he, so Jacob called Joseph and asked him to go and, and check up on his brothers to see if they were okay. I think that was as much as anything, making sure that they were avoiding trouble, not exasperating a potentially difficult and delicate situation, that they were exercising some restraint in relation to the local population. And then on top of that, Jacob wanted Joseph to bring them some provisions. So that, that seems quite reasonable. Now, little does Jacob know that when he sends Joseph off, when he says, son, can you go for me. Little does he know that he will not see Joseph for over 20 years. In fact, he will be led to believe for all those years that his beloved son, Joseph, is dead. He had no chance to say goodbye to him. He's going to bear the guilt of sending him off. Uh, he again, No one has the idea of what is about to transpire. But as Jacob sends off Joseph, the son of his old age, the son that he loved with his robe to check up on his brothers and to bring them their provisions, uh, you know, when he realizes, as he will later on, and we're going to look at it at some point in the future, when he realizes Joseph is dead uh, or he's led to believe that, he will at that point for all intents and purposes feel at least in that moment that he might as well have been dead. No doubt the memory of this moment would haunt uh, Israel Jacob for many years to come. If only I had been more cautious, if only if if only, oh God, why did I send him out at this moment? You know, in life, I, I'm reminded again and something we can take note of. That there are some things we cannot prepare for or control. I mean, even the most meticulous, meticulous and cautious among us, 
you know, we, we live as it, and we're experiencing this right now. I, you know, it, and I know it, but we live in, in a fractured, broken and fragile world where even pre predictable things cannot be counted upon. Um, what it's, it's something that requires us to walk with humility and to be highly adaptive people. You know, remember, I talk a lot about our need to be people who are resilient and capable of being nimble. We, we need to be a people who build our lives on the foundation of Christ because storms happen as Jesus taught us that the storms of life will hit us. And we are seeing this right now as a present reality. But when the storms of life hit us, and again, remember, it's not a question of if we will experience them. It's only a question of the force. You know, I, I was, I was, well, years ago, I remember watching this film. It actually was a, a film uh, that was highly acclaimed at the time. It was a film called Ordinary People. It was based on uh, a book as well. But at its center was a perfectionist mother who meticulously controlled her very well-ordered world. It was a world that consisted at its center of um, was her clan, her husband and her two sons. Uh, until, interestingly enough, in in the account, in the film, uh, the, a drowning accident takes her favored son. And when he drowns, uh, her dreams drown with him and it just crushed her world. It blew her relational cosmos to smithereens, if you will. The tragic event of her older, of her favored son's death became a catalyst of disintegration. One writer put it, uh, he drowned and her power to love drowned with it. That's quite a phrase. He drowned and her power to love drowned with it. That's what can happen. And the other son, the survivor, he ends up struggling with the guilt for being alive when the brightest and the best of the family was dead. And that's a whole nother layered kind of thing to walk through. And then the father who loved everybody felt, but was not as strong as the matriarch of the clan. He, he feels powerless to rescue the people whom he loves most in the world. So it's just a, a tragedy, right? They were, and this is the reason we call it is called ordinary people. They were after all ordinary, broken people, unable to cope with the fragility and the pain of their humanity and the tragedy that befell them. And they didn't, and this is a critical piece here. They didn't have the Lord in their lives. They only had, they had money and wealth and, and a, a nice standard of living. But in the end, that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. As we often see, it's still not enough. Sometimes the people who acquire the most fame and glory are the most miserable. It's not a guarantee at all. It can hide things. It can cushion things, but it is not enough. And to have the Lord is to have something far beyond anything that uh, money can buy. It is to have a wealth, true wealth, spiritual wealth, as Jesus taught us. This is that which cannot be taken from you. But the point is that I, the connection I made with just thinking about the, the incident that occurs with Jacob and then the whole Ordinary People film was that life is filled with uh, unpredictable and sometimes devastating turns. Things happen. Sometimes bad things happen, just like what happened with Jacob. Here's a, here's something to be aware of. We can't control life. We can't, we can't insulate ourselves from risk. You often hear me say to be alive is to be vulnerable. So we can't control life, but listen, we can keep life from controlling us. 
What? Yes, we can't control life, but we can keep life from controlling us. In other words, it doesn't have to be the dominant issue that determines the course of our life, or our attitudes, our capacity to love and heal. No, we actually, with the help and the power of the living God at work in our lives and the principles of Christ that we can hold on to, can overcome anything. There is nothing that we cannot overcome. Yes, not even death itself. And the pains of life, the brokenness of life, the disappointments of life, though they are real, uh, need not define us in the end. No, we are to be defined by the, the work of Christ, the life of Christ, the truth of Christ at work in us. That's part of what it means to embrace the cross and the promise of his provision and his faithfulness. Not simply something that is fabricated or a mind game, but a very real and present help in time of trouble. Something that can, after our grieving is done, teach us how to grow in grace and prevail to not be defined by the wounds and pain of life, but to learn how to live in, through, and above it. I know it sounds incredible, but God can actually, by his grace, turn things that seem to be impossible to overcome. And he can, he can take even the deepest wounds, and as they scar, they become a trophy of his grace. That's not just words. That's, a, that's an experience that I've witnessed, and I've watched people how God has transformed devastation and turned, uh, turned it in such a way, not that the pain no longer is there, but that they see it in a different way. And there's, there's a way of living, of trusting God that allows us to overcome even in our broken places. And in fact, sometimes we become deeper and more beautiful, more capable of empathy and love and honesty and humility, of true knowing, because we allow the Lord to heal us in our deepest places, in our wounded places. If this season that many of us, and I think right now, this is how it is. Many of us are finding this season incredibly difficult. If it has taught us anything, it's that life is precarious. That even in a, in a time such as this, with the stunning technology of our world, and which I'm grateful for, because that's how we're having church right now, but all the things that we've depended on, um, that we've assumed being shaken at the foundations, it has taught us that we are to live with humility. Yes, we are to live with humility, but also with hopefulness, because this is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is the way of hope. Now, switch back to Jacob again. I see Jacob. He, he doesn't know it yet, but he's about to lose what he believes to be his greatest gift. He's about to lose it. His best and brightest and most loved son, the one with the beautiful coat and the eyes of his mother, the miracle boy, the son of his old age. Look at verse 14 with me. It says, so he said to him, go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. And so he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? Who are you looking for? Because Joseph was just wandering. He was trying to find his brothers. He didn't find him. This is one of those really interesting uh, moments of scripture because we don't even know the man's name. We don't know where they were exactly specifically. But Joseph is looking. He's wandering. He's trying to find his brothers. And a man finds him wandering and says, hey, what are you looking for? Can I help you? You're looking for somebody who looks like you are. You look like you're in a bit of distress. He says, yes, I'm seeking my brothers. He said, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And a man said, well, they, they've gone away. I heard, I actually heard them talking. They said, let's go to Dothan further north. So Joseph went after his brothers and he found them at Dothan. 
And did you, oh, by the way, did you notice the randomness of the man who finds him wandering in the field? Oh, that he would have never met that man. I mean, it would have spared him all the events that followed and the innocent conversation in the field that changed the entire trajectory of Joseph's life. And in a certain sense, it changed the world because of it. Why you say, because all that follows connects to Christ and all that is in Christ connects to us. Joseph is in, in a sense, our brother. And this, his story is our story because it connects everything together for all that follows. You know, one of the things I remember again is and reminded of, and you can't miss it, is this in this random coming you know, to, to, into contact with this man whose name we do not know. But it's just reminding me again of how our life, you know, it, it just it just is so uh, hard to see and, and know. And and it just it really it, it struck me, you know, human beings, we make our choices and we walk our paths. But the Lord simultaneously is intertwined with it all. And his overarching plan unfolds with unstoppable meekness and imperceptible tenacity. How can it be? And I don't, I, how can it be that God is both working in an overarching way and we are living our everyday life, making our everyday choices, having our everyday interactions? Where does the sovereignty of God intersect with our free will? I don't even know how it actually completely works. Um, you know, I don't understand it, but I realize it is, it is so, it is so. What's more, it, think about it. Not only does what is about to happen and it's going to be tragic what happens, but it's also going to be what God uses ultimately to bring triumph and safety and life, sort of like the cross, which though tragic ultimately ends up becoming the mechanism of God's victory for all of us, the, me the mechanism of deliverance that leads to life. In a similar way, what happens to Joseph, what, what, ends, up, what ends up being a tragedy is also going to be, end up being part of what God uses as a way of, of delivering his people. Um, but at the time you think about it, you have two sort of just, uh, you know, things that happen that, that just seem like they're out of nowhere, right? The, 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 the chance meeting of a, of a random man in the midst of a field while Joseph is looking for his brothers, sends him into the direction that will ultimately lead to his demise. When he gets there also, I mean, and the other thing to note, the other part of this is that Joseph decides he could have gone home and said, oh, the brothers went his brothers and told Jacob his brothers went ahead to Dothan and I'll check back in on them later. But he decided to go the extra mile. I mean, he could have called it a day, right? But he, he could have, you know, he could have called it a day and gone home and reported that, you know, that they, they had moved on and, and they were pastoring in a different location. But, you know, Joseph's nature is part of what's going to show up in his life in the days ahead. His nature was uh, not half-hearted. I think that's part of the reason Jacob trusted him. But as, as it's going to be revealed in the years ahead, he had an excellent, an excellence to him, a way of, of not simply being passive, but he, he went the extra mile. But in this way, his virtue created the vulnerability that was about to be exploited. Look what it says. It says that they saw him from afar and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. And they said to one another, look at this, when they see him coming, here comes the dreamer. 
And then they started talking. I don't know what had got them going, but it says, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these pits. And then we will say that a fierce animal devoured him and we will, we will see what will become of his dreams. They're still thinking about his dreams. It's still the talk of the conversation. They still, their hatred is overflowing. And then to see him coming along with his beautiful robe. I mean, they just, they just want him dead and they are planning to kill him. The resentment of his brothers, though understandable, actually still shocks us. When all is said and done, they too will need to experience, listen to me, healing. You know, all of us at the core of our being are ordinary, as we mentioned, sin-impacted, broken people in need of the Savior's healing touch. That's the truth. And sometimes we see it when our world falls apart. And sometimes we see it when the world around us falls apart. Sometimes we see it when we injure and hurt and damage, which we're all capable of doing people we love. Sometimes we see it in the wound at the hand of someone who should have loved us better. Sometimes we see it when our ah, anxiety begins to overwhelm us and, and we feel it in our bodies and our fears take over in those places as well. In every case, it's so important to remember He is there. He is with us. The Good Shepherd, the Healer is with us. The Lord is my Shepherd and I shall not want. He walks with me. He does. Even through the valley of the shadow of death, He walks with us. So let's stay close to the shepherd. That's the one thing. I want to leave you with this thought. I want to leave us with this thought. I think that the difficulty of this time, and hear me out, just hear me out. I really believe that the difficulty of this time is either going to drive us closer to the Lord or cause us to drift away. It's either going to drive us closer or cause us to drift. The solution is to decide to decide to stay close, to decide to trust the Lord at a time like this. Yes, it is. And what is it to trust but to lean in to Jesus, right? It's just to lean into the Lord. And I would say that leaning into the Lord, trusting the Lord uh, at a time like the time we find ourselves in, which, and again, I'm, I just want to make this journey with all of us together. Uh, I, I know it's not great for some of us. We're really having a hard time. I get it. And even if we're not having a hard time, I know we know people who are. And that makes total sense to me because it just seems like we're starting and stopping and, and there's just so much uncertainty and there's fear and it's hard to, we miss human, you know, human touch and, and engagement and, and I get it. But, and so I'm, I'm very much concerned and attuned to the fact, even inside of me, that, it, that if I'm not careful, I'll drift away. I'll drift into dangerous places. I'll drift into a, a bad place in my heart, right? And instead of drifting, we need to draw near to the Lord. But that is going to, that, that is going to have to require an intentional choice on our part that's part of self-leadership and to decide is to lead, right? 
And God wants us to take ownership of our own heart instead of drawing away from him, right? Drifting away to draw near for, you know, if we draw near to the Lord, he will draw near to us. And what is, for me, that also looks like in practical ways, it means that I'm, I'm, I'm reading good things. I'm reading his words. I'm studying his words. I'm talking about his words. His words are close to me. I'm praying. I'm, 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 you know, reaching out. I'm, I'm praying out. I like that reaching out and praying out. I'm staying connected in community. Uh, you know, I really want to encourage all of us to do that. Take advantage of the rise and shine, the dailiness of it. You know, we do it six days. And then on the seventh day, we have the message time. We, we share our service online, you know, really try to keep a rhythm. That's, a, that's something to be attentive to a daily and Sabbath ry- rhythm, you know, take advantage of the small groups. stay connected in the zoom groups that we're doing. The other things that we're trying to make available to all the church, right? So again, take, and then I would add one more thing, uh, you know, take the initiative to be empathetic, to be a blesser. We, you know, we, we can't bless in ways that we're accustomed to. So find ways to be creative because one of the things that we have, if we have too much time just focused on ourselves and we're not engaging others, which is difficult to do at this time, then what happens is we can very easily begin to just start owning and getting ourselves just sort of bound up. And the Lord wants us to be free, to stay involved. So with him and one of the ways we can be free is to is to serve and love the other and the more focused we are in the way of Jesus the better we will be right the healthier we will be because at the end of the day we're just ordinary people broken people who need a savior but we are invited to trust him and you know what we're going to, we're going to share in a moment. I'm going to come back around. I have a final blessing connected to this message that I want to give to all of us. I want us all to share it together. We have a song that's specifically connected to the idea of trusting the Lord. You know, Chloe's going to sing that with us and share, sing that to us, share that with us. But I want to, I want to, and I'm going to pray in a moment real quickly into that. But here's the thing. Oh, and don't forget our time of giving. This is also the time that we pause to take, uh, well, to have a reminder about giving. And so many of you have been exceptionally faithful as we make this journey together, remembering your tithes and your offerings, that you can do that online. You can do it through the app. You can send it in the traditional way, whatever works best for you. But, uh, and I, and I just need to say it. Thank you again for just really honoring the Lord and be so faithful in this community. Some of you have just been outstanding and uh, I commend you in the Lord. And Lord, uh, as we get ready to share this moment, just help us to trust you better. Here we go. Letting go of every single dream. I laid one down at your feet. Every moment of my wandering. Never changes why you see
what tomorrow brings. There's not a day we've been sharing you know life is fragile it's unpredictable but you know what the Lord is with us he really is you know what are we supposed to do we're supposed to live in fear we're supposed to you know never send Joseph out you know uh, watch out for the man in the field because you never know you know what's gonna happen you know we can't live like that we cannot live like that be anxious for nothing you know what Fear suffocates love, but perfect love casts out fear. And God has not given us, he's not given you or me a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of soundness of mind. And Lord, we ask that you would give us the gift of soundness of mind. You know, we pray, we pray for that, Lord. We ask for that, Lord. I ask for that for each of us, that we would choose to live by your grace, a life of trust a life of trust that's built on the things that you taught us, built on the foundation, true and sure, right? And that we would in turn just cultivate more of a life. Lord, help us to do this, to cultivate more of a life of gratitude and intentional optimism because we have you at work in our lives. So of whom shall I be afraid? Come on, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May you sow, water, and reap good things, plant good things, take care of the garden of your soul. You are greatly loved. Why? Because I, want, I know a few things, and one of them is this. He's so good, he's so God, and he wants us to sow good and sow God. So till I see you again, keep praying. Let's keep praying for one another. Blessings on you in Jesus' name.